for the final part of our Hebrew series. Let's give her a big round of applause. Awesome. Thank you so much. How is everybody this morning? Are we good? Yeah. When I was out walking and praying and I, I remember standing here last Sunday and saying, God's going to drop a figure uh, in your heart. I didn't expect him to do it to me so soon on that same day as I was out walking. And when he dropped the figure, I'm like, get behind me, Satan. And uh, But when I spoke to Jacob, it was amazing. He had the same figure. And, um, and after you kind of get your head around it, I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited about what God is going to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Um, so this is my mic, all right? Okay, so yesterday uh, the women caught up and uh, we haven't had an amazing time. If you were there, who was there? A few of us were missing, but there were some hardcore people there and we just had an incredible day. It was a beautiful day, just fellowshipping and connecting with the women, which is always good. Um, kids go back to school this week. Who's ready for that? <laughs> I was saying to, um, I was in the bedroom kind of yelling out to Jacob in the kitchen this morning, do you know when the kids go back to school? Is it Monday or Tuesday? Um, and he goes, I don't know. I said, I don't know either because it always changes depending on what um, school you go to. And then Ethan comes in, he goes, let's go on Tuesday just to be safe. <laughs> and I was telling Carla Dooley this morning, she goes, how about you send them on Monday just in case? <laughs> so praise the Lord, hey? Um, so we've had an incredible series so far, uh, doing the Hebrew series, and the theme has been Jesus. What a cool series to preach on uh, in church, speaking on Jesus. And the name Hebrews means those who have crossed over, those who have crossed over, those who have crossed over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, <clears throat> those who have crossed over from doubt to faith. If you're a believer this morning, then you have crossed over. Have you crossed over? Who's crossed over? I hope everybody in this room has crossed over. But if you haven't, we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service. And all it is is a simple prayer. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Amen? So we've been challenged to leave the old behind. Pastor Adele preached that first week. Leave the old behind. Don't go back to our old ways, our old ways of thinking, our old thought patterns and grab a hold of the new. And the new is Jesus Christ, the ultimate king, the high priest, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We've been inspired with hope and we've been uh, encouraged in faith. If you came last week, if you didn't walk away last week with a greater revelation on what faith is, I encourage you to go back and listen again. Uh, Jacob preached an incredible message last week. And so this morning we're going to take a look at the last two chapters, chapters 12 and chapter 13. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. It says this, As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. We're bouncing off chapter 11, the great faith chapter, the famous chapter, a chapter that everybody loves, the faith chapter. And when it says uh, great witnesses were encircled by great witnesses like clouds, it's speaking about those that went before us. It's speaking of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, Samuel, and the list goes on. 
And you know what? It also includes our loved ones that are passed on in Christ before us. It includes them as well. And it's saying that these great men and women of faith are encircling us like clouds. If you take the scripture off just for a minute, that'll be great. They're encircling us like clouds. These great men and women of faith, those that have gone before us. If you read through chapter 11, it lists all the people. And then it's also our loved ones that have passed on in Christ. Another translation says this, we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. A huge crowd of witnesses. Picture a football stadium. A football stadium filled with fans, grand final day, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, grand final day, it's jam-packed with fans and you're on the field. You are on the field. God's mission field, that's you. You're on the field and you're surrounded by these great witnesses. Those great witnesses are like those fans in the stands, not the abusive ones. And they're surrounding you and they're cheering you on. You have your own personal fan club. How awesome is that? You have your own personal fan club and they know what it's like to serve and to believe and to live in faith because they've gone before us. They understand the joy, the hardship, the struggle, the temptations that we're up against. They get it because they've gone before us. And they're in the stands. They encircle you like clouds. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on, saying, keep going. You can do this. You've got this. You're not alone. They inspire us from the sidelines. It's a life worth living, they say. Keep going. And they inspire us from the sidelines. You know, a football team mostly plays better at their home ground, right? When Then when you've got your own fans at your home ground, they're inspired to play better. They're inspired to keep going. Their level, their standard is lifted because they're at their home ground. You know, wherever you are, every day, you are playing a home game. Every single day, you are playing a home game. And these great men and women of faith surround you, lifting you to another level, cheering you on. Can you hear the roar? We have to live conscious of that. You're not on your own. They're surrounding you, encircling you like clouds. And so because of this, in verse 1 it says, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. If you've been a Christian long enough, you'll know that it is an easy street being a Christian. Being a Christian involves hard work, it involves sacrifice, it involves dying to self if you've been a Christian long enough. Footballers don't get to be the best at what they do without putting in the hard work, do they? Without putting in the sacrifice. You know, they have to die to what the flesh wants. Some of them don't, but they have to die to what the flesh wants to be the best at what they do. You know, some people look at Christians and and they think they are Christians because they're weak or or they need a crutch and I think it's okay for you. You know, you have an area of weakness in your life so you need a crutch uh, to help you get through. 
And in a sense, that's true because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. We're just humble enough to admit it, right? We all need Jesus. But in another sense, it's so far from the truth. It's the absolute opposite. Christians are not weak. You know, it takes courage and guts and passion and determination to run the race that God has marked out for us. Passion, courage, guts and determination to run the race that God has marked out for us. In fact, if you think you're so strong and you have it all together, then come into God's kingdom and help us because we need you. We are fighting an unseen battle in the spiritual realm and we need God's armour on us. There's nothing weak about being a Christian. The cool thing is, is that we have an ultimate king and high priest who has already won the battle. We know how this story ends. We know how this story ends. He has the victory. And to live this life, the Bible is saying, is we can't stay in hurt and unforgiveness. We just read that. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us. We can't stay in hurt and unforgiveness. To live in faith, to live for Jesus, we have to let go of the wounds that have pierced us. If you've come into this church from another church and that other church you've been hurt, I encourage you to let go and deal with the wound that may have pierced you. If you've been attacked or ridiculed or someone has spoken badly against you, I encourage you to deal with the wound that has pierced you. The Bible says to let go of the wound that has pierced you. You know, if you've been offended in this church, it's going to happen. Wherever there's people, there's an opportunity for hurt and offence. If you've been hurt or offended in this church, we're sorry, but I encourage you to deal with it and let go of the wound that has pierced you. Let go of the wound that has pierced you. It's expecting we will be wounded. It's not saying if. It's expecting things happen, life, people. We can't have control of what's happening around us. Let go of the wound that has pierced you. You know, it's how we respond that is so key. How we respond is so key. You know, myself and Jacob, when we travel, we overpack. We are shocking. We, sit, we will tip the scales every single time. One time we went to Melbourne. Do you remember we went to Melbourne? And we just had to, like, send boxes of stuff back to Perth. Um, you know, you, you pay for extra baggage. You pay for extra baggage. It's not a good thing. And people are walking around with this extra baggage that they need to let go of. And I'm not talking about COVID kilos. I'm talking about the hurts and the unforgiveness and and the wounds in our heart that we need to let go of, wounds that have pierced us, that we bring into our relationships, we bring it into our next church, we bring it into our next relationship and we begin to respond from previous hurts because we haven't dealt with past hurts. If you've been wounded, hurt, rejected, betrayed, and we all have, if you've lived long enough, we all have. The Bible is saying to let go of the wounds that have pierced you. 
the author of Hebrews is saying, don't stay stuck in it. Don't stay stuck in it. You're responsible for who, for everything about who you. You get to choose what you do with it. Work through forgiveness. Lay it down. Talk to the person. Go to counselling. Ask God to heal your heart. Whatever it takes, do what you got to do to deal with it. Because we have a race marked out for us. We have a race marked out for us that God intends for you to take part in. For every single person, God has a plan for your life. You're here on purpose for a purpose. And he's saying these wounds will hold you back. They'll weigh you down. And we need to deal with them. For such a time as this, you were called, you were chosen. If you're saying in your head, who me? Yes, you. Who me? Yes, you. Every person. You don't get to disqualify yourself. God didn't say I designed this person for that and that person for that. And actually, you're not going to do anything. You have no purpose. No way. He's not that type of a God. Every single person sitting in this room has a plan and a purpose. That is good news this morning. And we have people, this is so cool, people cheering us on from the sidelines, cheering us on. People that have experienced the same hurts and rejection and betrayal that we have been through. It wasn't easy street for them. It was not easy street for them. I expect Noah was probably ridiculed for building a boat when no one had ever seen rain. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Can you imagine the hurt and the pain and the rejection he must have felt? Jacob lost his favourite son. He thought he was dead. The grief that he went through, and it was his own sons, his other sons, that put him through that. Can you imagine what he was going through? David's father didn't even consider him a son. He left him out in the field. The guy said, bring all your sons. So he brought all the sons except he's left David out in the field. Moses suffered such harsh treatment from the people. Gosh, he went through a lot. (laughs) You've got to feel for Moses. But they've been through the things we've been through and they're cheering us on from the sidelines, saying, you've got this, keep going, it's a life worth living. Come on, you can do this. You are not alone. You're not the first person that's ever been through what you're going through. But they, and they laid it down. They laid down these hurts, this rejection, this betrayal. They laid it down. They let go of their wounds. And they continued to walk humbly before their Lord. And God used them mightily. Whoever was on that boat with Noah that day was saved. God used Joseph to save his entire family from famine. From the very people that betrayed him. God used Joseph mightily. David became a king. These great men and women of faith, they weren't perfect either. They stumbled. They got entangled in sin. We read earlier, if we go back to that scripture, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. They too fell into sin. David committed adultery. David committed murder. Abraham gave his wife away, not once but twice. It's a bit rude. Jacob lied and deceived and and he stole the inheritance. 
Moses committed murder. This, these are just not little, these are pretty big things, the more I think about it, right? This is massive. Really? There's probably a very small percentage, if is 0% of, of people that have committed murder in this room. That's huge. Rahab was a prostitute. She's in the chapter 11. And Samson, <laughs> I won't tell you what Jacob said about Samson, but this guy was given every opportunity, supernatural strength, the gift of leadership, but instead of uniting his country and bringing peace, he continued to chase after women constantly. He didn't stop. He kept chasing after foreign women. You know, I'm surprised he's even in the faith tra- chapter, to be honest. If I was writing the book of Hebrews, I don't know if I would put his name in there. But that's how gracious our God is. That is how gracious our God is. But, you know, they didn't stay there. They repented. You know, David repented before the Lord. They laid it down. Even Samson had a moment of repentance, a moment of repentance. But if, you know, if Samson made it to the faith chapter, there's hope for all of us, hey? To live this life for Jesus, to run the race marked out for us, we can't allow old wounds and sins becoming entangled in sin to hold us back. We have to shake it off. We have to let it go. We have to lay it down. We have to do whatever it is we need to do to keep moving forward in God. Flee from it, the Bible says. We need to make a stand about what we will and what we won't do. And the next verse tells us how to do this in verse 2. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. We look away from the natural realm. We look away from the natural realm and we fix our eyes firmly on Jesus Christ. You know, it's pretty hard to fall so far into sin when you've got your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ, when you're not looking to the left or to the right, when you've got your priorities in order, when you're taking your next steps in God, when you're being obedient to what he's calling you to do. It's pretty hard to get so entangled up in sin. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And something that's so key that we find in this verse as well, it says this, is where Jesus is focused on the joy, on the joy of knowing that we would be his. He chose long-term lasting joy over temporary satisfaction of giving in to sin, a temporary satisfaction. You know, we can get a temporary satisfaction or relief or uh, um, a need filled or we hold on to a grudge because it feels good, you know, or we push to be right in an argument because it feels good. They just have to know that I'm right. We hold on to unforgiveness because it makes you feel better. I can't let it go because then they're free and they've got to know what they've done. We keep going back to that addiction. We keep going back to that same thing for a temporary satisfaction. Or we can focus on the long term, the lasting joy of the abundant life. 
that comes from doing things his way. It, it, brings, it brings peace, it brings, it brings blessing, it brings strength. When we choose, we focus on the joy set before us. When we choose joy, we choose peace, we choose life over that temporary satisfaction of getting our needs met. Jesus focused on the joy set before him and he endured the cross and he ran his white race and he fulfilled his destiny. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I receive emails and sometimes they're not very nice emails. And everything within me wants to answer in the flesh. Everything in me. And I write something like, no, delete, write, delete, write, delete, write, delete. Getting, just getting the flesh out. Make sure you keep deleting. <laughs> but I stop. I've got a choice here. I've got a choice. I choose how I respond to this. I can enter in or I can choose to respond in God. The joy set before me. The joy set before me. Do I choose long-lasting joy that brings peace and strength and blessing? Or do I f- try and make myself feel good in just a moment? Send. Done. Can't get it back. The joy set before me. Verse 5. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. It's in the Bible, I love it. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, he pro- it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? Ever heard of one? We're like 24-7, don't do that. Let's like... We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are stranger and not sons. What an awesome piece of scripture. How awesome is that? Correction is going to come. Discipline is going to come. And again, I really get this as a pastor. Sometimes a part of what I do uh, is I need to bring correction sometimes. And, and it's not the most favourite part of my job, let me tell you. It isn't. And, you know, these conversations are hard to have at times. But I take the time and I do it, even though I feel extremely uncomfortable, because I love and care for the person. Because I love and care for the person. If I didn't, I wouldn't bother. Why would I put myself out? It hurts me. Because I love and care for the person, I'll take the time to have these conversations because I care about the path that they are on. I care about the destiny that they are going towards. The Bible talks about if you see people going in the wrong direction, pull them back. Save them from the flames. It says that in the Bible. We have a responsibility, particularly as pastors and teachers. 
And the author of Hebrews is saying here, if God is correcting you, if he is disciplining you, if he is training you, it is evident of his faithful love. It's evidence of his faithful love. It proves you're a part of his family, that you are his son, that you are his daughter. It's saying if you've never been corrected, then be worried. (laughs) Be concerned. If it's all been smooth sailing, you've got to think, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Is he really Lord of my life? Have I truly entered through the narrow gate into God's kingdom? Have I? Or will he say to you as we read in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 13 verse 24, there is a great cost for anyone to enter through the narrow doorway to God's kingdom realm. I tell you there will be many who will want to enter but won't be able to. For once the head of the house is shut and locked the door, it will be too late. Even if you stand outside knocking and begging to enter, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us, he will say to you, I don't know who you are. You are not a part of my family. Embrace correction. Embrace discipline. Embrace training. It's all part of the journey. It's validation of authentic sonship, daughtership. I remember when Jacob was correcting our boys once, he had lined them up against the wall and I was thinking, I'm glad I'm not one of your kids today. (laughs) And he was giving them a really good talking to. I don't even know what they did, but he was giving them a good talking to. And I'm like, praise God, I'm a parent too. And Tiffany jumps in mid-correction. She plops herself in between the two boys and stood up her head against the wall as well, listening intently. She wasn't even a part of whatever happened. Whatever they did, she wasn't a part of it. But she was like, I'm not going to miss out. He's my loving father too. I'm a part of this family. I want to get corrected too. And so she jumps in there. Embrace it. Be encouraged that you're in God's kingdom, a part of his family. Don't get depressed. (laughs) I love that. It's in the scripture. Don't get depressed when God has to correct you. It's all part of it. Who's ever heard of a kid that's never got corrected? They're generally pretty wayward, aren't they? We don't bring correction and training and discipline to our kids. They go crazy. That's what when, when our kids are going crazy, we're like, right, we're not disciplining enough. <laughs> we need to get cracking. It's a validation of your sonship of your daughtership. Count it all joy, James says. Count it all joy. Your character is being developed. God is bringing you into maturity. We read on in verse 11. Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Are you glad you came to church today? (laughs) You're like, get me out of here. Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it, those who yield to it. So be made strong even in your weakness by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and worship and strengthen your weak knees for as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. How awesome is that? We can push it away and deny it and put up our walls and, and rebel and, 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 and just, you know, into further into pride and all of that, thinking we know everything or we can surrender and we can yield and we can say, God, do what you have to do in me. Search my heart and point out anything in me that offends you. 
do what you have to do in me. I'm your servant. I'm listening. Do what you have to do in me. It's not a time to shrink back. It's not a time to hide from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden, as if you didn't know where they were. Why are you hiding? It's not a time to isolate yourself from God's house, from God's people. It's not a time for that. It's a time to push in. It's a time to enter in. It's a time to lift up your weak hands in worship and prayer. Why? Because you have a loving father. He loves you. He cares for you. You know, as Jesus faced opposition and walked this earth, he was constantly communing with the Father, constantly communing. He stayed ever so close to him. Verse 14, we read on, In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly toward holiness, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition. You know, our department heads and two ICs are in, in a bit of a competition uh, at the moment. And it's, insp- and, and it's awesome because we're inspiring each other on and we're having fun with it. But at the end of the day, we have a common goal that we're working towards. And our eyes are on that common goal, not on each other, though each we're being inspired by each other, but our eyes are on that common goal. And at the end of the day, we as a team have to get to that goal. The difference between competing against and competing with. Competing against is pulling another person down. Competing with is spurring and motivating and inspiring each on towards greatness. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur on one another on toward love and good deeds. And we as Christians, we have a common goal. We have a mission. We have an assignment. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you got given an assignment. And that assignment is to advance God's kingdom with the message of Jesus Christ. To populate heaven. That's our our assignment. That's what we've been given. To keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The great commission to go out into the world and make disciples and baptise people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're on the same team. We don't turn on each other. We don't attack each other. And, and that scripture saying, in every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition. We're a family. If someone gets promoted, we celebrate. We look out for not one another. Your success is my success and my success is your success. And, you know, I really believe we have this in our church. When we went to the ACC State Conference, when Adele was getting credentialed, so many people came out from our church. And when she went up to receive a certificate, we were up on our feet cheering and roaring and shouting her on. (laughs) Thank you, she says. We choose peace over competition. We inspire one another to good deeds, good works. And where I want to land this morning, where I want to land this morning is chapter 13, verse 8. And it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't you love that? He is the same yesterday, today 
and forever. He never changes. He never changes. People come and go. Life is life. Hurts come. Pain is experience. Suffering comes. Circumstances change. People's opinions change. You want to know how quick people's opinions change? There's a story in the Bible. Paul the Apostle, he's a prisoner on a boat. And um, they're having some problems on his boat. And so he, um, he basically ends up saving 276 people on board. He saves these people. They're shipwrecked. They end up on an island. And so they're on this island, the island of Malta. And a snake attaches itself to Paul's hand. And so the people say, oh, he must be a murderer. He escaped the sea, but now he's still going to die. He must be a murderer. And so they waited for a little bit to see if it'd swell up or if you'd drop dead. And so when he didn't swell up and when he didn't drop dead, the Bible says, it literally says, they changed their minds and said he was a God. He went from murderer to God in such a short space of time. People's opinions change. It doesn't matter what people say or think. It matters what God says. It matters what God says and who God says you are and what God has called you to personally. Yes, you. Get rid of that thought, that voice in your head. Yes, you. It matters. And that doesn't ever change because he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Yesterday, today and forever. He's unchanging. His call is irrevocable. And his love is never ending. He loved you while you're in your mess. Christ died while we're still sinners. And he loves you the same now. It hasn't changed. His love is never ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the letter written to the Hebrews and to us has been a letter of love. That's what it's been, to urge us, to encourage us, to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the ultimate King and High Priest, who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's rock solid. He's unwavering. He can be trusted. And the author finishes with this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock. I'm not really the pastor of this church. Jesus is the great shepherd of his flock. I'm just serving like the rest of you as we're all just doing it together. He is the great shepherd of his flock. And by the power of the blood of eternal covenant, may he work perfection into every part of you, giving all that you need to fulfill your destiny, your destiny, what God's personally called you to. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, 
who is to receive all glory forever. Amen. And there we wrap up Hebrews. We can bow our heads this morning. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your one and only son to die on a cross for us so that he could become the ultimate king, the high priest who we can put our trust and faith in. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, who never changes, whose love is unending. Just while we've got our heads bowed, I just want to give, as I said at the start, anybody that's in this room or listening online an opportunity to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Best decision you'll ever make, taking that step into eternity forever with Jesus. So if that's anyone here this morning, if you'd like to lift your hand, you can pop it up in the air and then slip it back down just so I can see that you're making the decision. Anyone online, type yes in the comments. I'm just going to pray all together if you can follow after me. God, I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. I ask that you forgive my sins, wash me clean, and today I choose to live for you. Amen. Lord, I pray for every single person here, Father God. I pray where there's old wounds, where there's wounds that have pierced people's hearts, Lord God. I pray that you give them the courage and the strength to lay it down, to let go of these wounds that have pierced them. I pray for healing, that you just touch hearts right now, Lord God. And I'm not trying to downplay these hurts either. Sometimes it hurts so bad, and I get that and I understand that. But I pray, Lord, that you give them the strength to let it go, Father. I pray it be released right now, Lord God, that you touch that area where it's wounded, Lord, and you heal those hearts, Father God. I pray where forgiveness needs to take place, Lord God, that, that it would. I pray, pray where uh, conversations need to be had that they would. And for anyone that's entangled in sin, Lord, give them the strength and the courage, Lord, to shake it off, to leave it behind that it wouldn't hold them back any longer to run the race that you've marked out for them, that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny. Give them strength, Lord God. Have your way, Father. I pray that your will be done in our lives, Lord. And mostly we just thank you for who you are, Lord God. We give you all praise and we give you all glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Fantastic. Wow, what a great word. That was awesome. Thanks, Mel. I have had an amazing journey through the book of Hebrews. That's been just so good.